Peace be upon you. So in the Quran, God has documented the history of five distinct communities that were each annihilated by one single event when they rejected the three M's. What are these three M's that these communities rejected? They rejected their messenger, they rejected the message he was sent with, and they rejected the miracle that authenticated him as a messenger and his message. And because of this, they were each annihilated. These five messengers that were sent to these five communities are Noah, Hud, Saleh, Lot, and Shweb. And they are mentioned in this specific order three times in the Quran in Surahs 7, 11, and 26. And each time, we see the same history repeating itself. Their messenger went to them, he proclaimed his messengership, he provided a message from God, and he produced a miracle to authenticate that he is a messenger of God and the message he's brought with is from God. And in all five instances, these communities, their people rejected the miracle, the message, and the messenger. And because of that, there was no hope for these people and God annihilated them because the only value they left in this world was for a lesson for future generations to learn from. And we learn in the Quran that the death of any disbeliever who ends up spending all of eternity in hell in the hereafter is that of annihilation. In Surah 6 verse 6 it says, Have they not seen how many generations before them we have annihilated? In Surah 10 verse 13 it says, Many a generation we have annihilated before you when they transgressed. Their messengers went to them with clear proofs, but they refused to believe. We thus requite the guilty people. We see the example of the people of Pharaoh. In Surah 8 verse 54 it reads, Such was the case with the people of Pharaoh and others before them. They first rejected the signs of their Lord. Consequently, we annihilated them for their sins. We drowned Pharaoh's people. The wicked were consistently punished. What sets these five communities different than Pharaoh or any of these other deaths from a disbeliever is that these communities, their entire culture, their entire society was wiped out. When Pharaoh and his troops were wiped out, his culture persisted. There ended up being many more Pharaohs after him. But when God annihilates a community like he did for the people of Noah, Hud, Saleh, Lot, or Shweb, there is no coming back. And in each of these communities, God annihilated them in a particular manner. Specifically in this episode, I want to look at how were the people of Saleh annihilated because there's something very fascinating here. If you look at how the people of Noah were annihilated, it was by the flood. The people of Hud was the, the storm. The people of Lot was showers of rocks. The people of Shweb were the quake. What caused the annihilation of the people of Saleh? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because of two verses. In Surah 7 verse 78, it talks about Thamud. Thamud was the town where Saleh was sent to. And it reads, consequently, the quake annihilated them, leaving them dead in their homes. So from this verse, if someone was to read it, they'd say, okay, it was an earthquake. That's what annihilated them. End of story. But then if we read Surah 51, verse 43, it reads, In Thamud there is a lesson. They were told, enjoy temporarily. They rebelled against the command of their Lord. Consequently, the lightning struck them as they looked. So which one was it? Was it a quake? Was it lightning? Was it both? And God willing, in this episode, I want to look at this, and I found something very fascinating that I want to share. So let's start by looking at the history of the people of Saleh. 
Saleh was sent as a messenger to Thamud. And we read in 26.141, it reads, Thamud disbelieved the messengers. Their brother Saleh said to them, Would you not be righteous? I am an honest messenger to you. You shall reverence God and obey me. I do not ask you for any wage. My wage comes only from the Lord of the universe. So here Saleh is spelling out how this mechanism works. He was directly appointed by God as a messenger. And he's presenting this information to his people, telling them that they shall reverence God and obey him. And then it's telling him also that he's not asking for any wage, any money. His wage comes from the Lord of the universe. So it's not like he's benefiting in a worldly sense by proclaiming this information. In 26.146, it continues, Do you suppose you will be left forever secure in this state? You enjoy gardens and springs and crops and date palms and delicious fruits. So the people in Thamud are highly successful. It seems like they have a pretty good situation. They have security, they have provisions, they have fruit. And what happens to a society that becomes unappreciative of these blessings that God has given them? We see the example in Surah 16, verse 112. says, God cites the example of a community that used to be secure and prosperous with provisions coming to it from everywhere. But then it turned unappreciative of God's blessings. Consequently, God caused them to taste the hardships of starvation and insecurity. Such is the record for what they did. Saleh is reminding his people of a similar outcome. That if they're unappreciative, if they basically continue in their transgression, in their idol worship, that their only outcome from them is these things that they were blessed with will be taken away from them. Their security, their provisions, their fruits, all these things that they value are going to be stripped away. We see this in the the example of the people of Sheba in Surah 34. It reads, Sheba's homeland used to be a marvel with two gardens on the right and on the left. Eat therefrom from your Lord's provisions and be appreciative of him. Good land and a forgiving Lord. They turned away and consequently we poured upon them a disastrous flood and we substituted their two gardens into two gardens of bad tasting fruits, thorny plants and a skimpy harvest. We thus requite them for their disbelief. Do we not requite only the disbelievers? So what caused them to lose this garden, these provisions they had? It continues in 34, 17 says, or 18, it says, We placed between them and the communities that we bless other oases, and we secured the journey between them, traveled therein days and nights in complete security. But they turned unappreciative and challenged our Lord. We do not care if you increase the distance for our journeys without any stations. They thus wronged their own souls. Consequently, we made them history and scattered them into small communities throughout the land. This should provide lessons for those who are steadfast, appreciative. This is the lesson Saleh is trying to tell his people, that if they become unappreciative, if they continue in their transgressions, these things that they value so much are going to be taken away from them. But they have way more than simply security and provisions. It continues in 26.149, says, You carve out of the mountains luxurious mansions. You shall reverence God and obey me. Do not obey the transgressors who commit evil, not good works. In Surah 7, verse 74, it says, Recall he made you inheritors after Ad and established you on earth, building mansions in its valleys and carving homes from its mountains. You shall remember God's blessings. Do not roam the earth corruptingly. These individuals, they would carve their homes out of the mountains. 
And you can see it because in Surah 15, it's entitled Al-Hijr. This is the town of Thamud. And this still exists today. In 2938, so similarly, Ad and Thamud were annihilated. This is made manifest to you through their ruins. The devil had adorned their works in their eyes and had diverted them from the path, even though they had eyes. In Surah 15 verse 80, it reads, The people of Al-Hijr disbelieved the messengers. We gave them our revelations, but they disregarded them. They used to carve secure homes out of the mountains. The disaster hit them in the morning. What they hoarded did not help them. Al-Hijr is the location where Thamud was located. And we can see that if you go on Wikipedia and look up Al-Hijr, another name for Al-Hijr is Medin Saleh, which means the city of Saleh. And if you go and look at the photos, it's just like Petra, where they have these valleys and canyons and they've carved homes inside them. And this is how they lived. They lived a very luxurious life. So what did Saleh do to confirm his messengership? So first, he came, proclaimed that he's a messenger. Then he gave them a message. And now he has to provide proof of his messengership. In 1162, it says, they said, O Saleh, you used to be popular among us before this. Are you enjoining us from worshiping what our parents are worshiping? We are full of doubt concerning everything you have told us. He said, O my people, what if I have solid proof from my Lord and mercy from him? Would you support me against God if I disobeyed him? You can only augment my loss. O my people, this is God's camel to serve as a proof for you. You shall let her eat from God's earth and do not touch her with any harm, lest you incur an immediate retribution. So the question that normally comes up now is, how is a camel a miracle from God? You know, these people probably saw thousands of camels. What made this one unique? We read in Surah 26, verse 155, he said, Here is a camel that will drink only on a day that is assigned to her, a day that is different from your specified days of drinking. Do not touch her with any harm, lest you incur retribution on an awesome day. These people at this time, they recognized that this camel was not like any others that they had. That there was something unique, special, inspired directly from God that convinced these people that Salah's message was authentic. And we see that each miracle that is given to each messenger is specific for their time and place. These people would see a miracle that of a camel, something that we can't comprehend, that if this was given to our generation, it would have no relevancy for us. But similarly, if you take any of the miracles for their time and place and present it to some other generation, it wouldn't have any bearing. For instance, Moses, when he came, magic was big. This is something that experienced magicians were known. And here comes Moses with a staff that can swallow what the magicians fabricate. And this caused the magicians to fall prostrate because they recognized that this could not happen by a human being. Now, if Moses was to live now, or his miracle was to exist now, and someone says, look, I'm a messenger of God, I have this staff, it turns into a serpent, it could swallow what other people fabricate, they, it wouldn't cut it. People would say, look, I saw David Blaine freeze himself in ice. This is clearly just some magic trick. Uh, we would need something significantly more. You know, today we live in the information age. Our miracles, the mathematical structure of the Quran via cryptographic message for our generation. If we took this and we presented it to the people of Saleh, they would look at these numbers and it would have no relevancy to them. 
It would have no meaning to them. Or if you present to them the Quran in a different language, it would have no relevancy to them. But you take the Quran and you present it to the people of Saudi Arabia at the time of Muhammad, and they recognize that this is far beyond any human-made poetry, that the words of this book are beyond human capability. So each miracle is specific for its time and place for those people. Another lesson we see from Saleh when he delivered a message is in Surah 27, verse 47. They said, we consider you a bad omen for us, you and those who joined you. He said, your omen is fully controlled by God. Indeed, you are deviant people. This is the response that we see when the messengers present their proof. The individuals, the arrogant leaders at that time, they say they considered a bad omen. We see the same example in Surah 36. And the response is your omen is dependent on your actions. If you become reverent and believe, then the omen is good. But if you turn arrogant and turn away, then it's at your own detriment. Ultimately, God provides these for the believers to benefit from. But if the human being chooses to disregard the message, they're doing it at their own detriment. And what's fascinating is the arrogant leaders started sensing that the people were believing. In Surah 775, says, The arrogant leaders among his people said to the common people who believed, How do you know that Saleh is sent by his Lord? They said, The message he has brought has made us believers. Notice that it wasn't the camel that made them believers. In the case of Saleh, the message was what caused these people to believe. And this is in contrast to Moses and the magicians. When the magicians saw The miracles that Moses presented, they fell prostrate and they recognized that that could not have been done by someone of this world, that that could have only been manifested by the Lord of the universe. But in the case of Saleh, all that the miracle did of the camel was instill reverence for God and it allowed people to open up their hearts to the message. And how did the people respond after all this, this blessing that they've received? God has sent them personally a messenger to correct their actions. In Surah 27 verse 48 says, There were nine gangsters in the city who were wicked and never did anything good. They said, Let us swear by God that we kill him and his people, then tell his tribe we know nothing about their death. We are truthful. What a wicked act. These people believe in God because they're swearing by God to commit sin. It shows just how terrible of an individual these uh, gangsters are. That they're vowing to God to kill God's miracle, his proof that was presented to them, and also the messenger bearing this good news. In 776, it reads, The arrogant one said, We disbelieve in what you believe in. Subsequently, they slaughtered the camel, rebelled against their Lord's command, and said, O Saleh, bring the doom you threaten us with, if you are really a messenger. Consequently, the quake annihilated them, leaving them dead in their homes. He turned away from them, saying, O my people, I have delivered my Lord's message to you and advised you, but you do not like any advisors. Someone who doesn't take heed to being corrected, to being shown when they're wrong, is never going to be able to make it back on the right path. In Proverbs verse 12, it reads, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. An individual who doesn't take heed, who won't accept the fact when they're wrong, won't correct the errors of their way, will never be able to make it back into God's kingdom. Their ego has grown just too big. And this is what happened to the people of Saleh. So back to the question at hand. What annihilated the people of Thamud? 
In 778, we read, consequently, the quake annihilated them, leaving them dead in their homes. The Arabic word for quake is Rajfatu, which is also the same word used for the annihilation of the people of Shweb in Surah 7 verse 91 and 29 verse 37. So this assures us that the understanding of this word is quake. And in 51.43 it says, In Thamud there is a lesson. They were told, Enjoy temporarily. They rebelled against the command of their Lord. Consequently, the lightning struck them as they looked. They could never get up, nor were they helped. And some people might try to twist this word, asaigatu, to mean a thunderous blast, as in a crack of thunder or a roaring sound. But if we read in Surah 69 verse 4, it uses a third word. It says, Thamud and Ad disbelieved in the shocker, as for Thamud they were annihilated by the devastating. And the Arabic word for devastating, that's uh, translated as devastating, is biltagayati, which means a thunderous blast or also a lightning storm. So the fact that we have these distinct words that all are insinuating some form of lightning lets us know that definitely it wasn't just a quake, there was lightning involved. And one of the last verses that to me gives me pause as far as what exactly took place is in Surah 54 verse 31 when it reads, We sent upon them one blow whereupon they became like harvested hay. If someone was annihilated by a quake, how would that make them into harvested hay? How does that parallelism make sense? So let's summarize some of these points. From the verses we read, we know that they died in their homes. In Surah 11 verse 67 it says, Those who transgressed were annihilated by the disaster, leaving them in their homes dead. That their homes were in the mountains, that they carved their homes in the mountains. And in 774 it says, Recall that he made you inheritors after Ad and established you on earth, building mansions in its valleys and carving homes from its mountains. So these individuals, they were living inside these rock formations, these mountains. And that they were annihilated by the quake. In 778 it reads, Consequently, the quake annihilated them, leaving them dead in their homes. That the quake occurred in the morning. In Surah 15 verse 83 says the disaster hit them in the morning. And that before they were annihilated, they saw lightning. In 5144 it says they rebelled against the command of their Lord. Consequently, the lightning struck them as they looked. And that the home survived because we have their ruins today. In 2938 it says similarly, Ad and Thamud were annihilated. This is made manifest to you through their ruins. And today you can go to Al-Hijr. And north of Saudi Arabia, just south of Petra, and be able to see these homes that they lived in. And then the last one is that whatever annihilated them caused them to look like harvested hay. In 54 verse 31 it says, We sent upon them one blow whereupon they became like harvested hay. So if you stuck around this long, let's get to the good stuff. So again, they were in their homes. Their homes were made out of a uh, uh, rock. They were carved into the mountains. They were annihilated by the quake, but they were looking at lightning. And so therefore, they weren't outside because they died in their homes. And we know that it was the morning time and that their uh, homes remained, but that it ended up leaving them like harvested hay. So that's it in a summary. So what does this all mean? How do we reconcile all this? There's a recent phenomenon uh, that's been around for centuries, but just recently has been really gaining steam because in the past when this was reported, everyone just assumed that this was an urban legend, there, has, there was no leg, uh, legitimacy to it, and it has to do with something known as earthquake lightning. 
Over the centuries, there have been many reports of earthquake lights, both before and while the ground was shaking. Normal lightning results from a buildup of electrical charge in clouds. However, lab experiments now suggest earthquake lights may instead originate from the buildup of electrical charge in the ground surrounding geological faults. So if you go on YouTube now and type in earthquake lightning, you'll see there's a bunch of these videos from various earthquakes that took place where people are filming on their phone the lightning that's taking place at the time of the earthquake. Sometimes this lightning happens in the sky and sometimes it happens in the ground. Originally, people were thinking that when the plates were shifting during the time of an earthquake, that gas was being released and was causing lightning. And this still might be the case. So it could have been that these people, in the morning, they looked up out of their windows, they saw lightning, and then boom, the earthquake happened and they were annihilated. I think there's more to it than that. The mountains where Thamud was located, the rock formation is made out of silica, iron, lime, and it's a quartz-based stone. Now, anyone who studied electroengineering knows that quartz has something that's called a piezoelectric effect. What this is, is that if you were to hit quartz with a hammer, it causes an electrical output. And what I believe took place at the time of the people of Thamud was when the earthquake resided, that this caused an electrical surge throughout the mountain. The fact that this occurred in the morning meant that there was moisture. And these individuals, they were cooked alive inside their homes. The verse in 5431, it says, when we sent upon them one blow whereupon they became like harvested hay, it makes sense that they were as if they were sitting inside an electrical chair. If you look at what happens inside an individual who dies by electric chair, what they do is they put a cap on top of their head and they put wet sponges on them in order to create a conductive charge. And when the electrical pulse goes through that body, what ends up happening is that they are fried from the inside out. That electrical energy is converted into thermal energy and they are literally incinerated. And it makes sense why God would have called these people like harvested hay. is because when the quake took place, they probably saw the electrical charge. It caught their eye. But what they didn't realize was within a moment that they were going to be electrocuted and fried, completely dried out as if they were harvested hay. Now what else is interesting is the Arabic that's used for like harvested hay is kahashimi la muhtaziri, which means harvested hay, hay but used by a fence builder, someone who builds in an enclosure. These individuals were being fried inside their homes by high amounts of electrical current. The human body is 70% water and it serves as a conductor. The fact that it was morning and there was probably dew among the, uh, the mountain means that the conductivity of their homes was particularly high. And when the electricity came through, they were fried. And when an individual is electrocuted in those states, their skin burns off, their fat is melted, and all that's left was the dried out tissue of a remnant of a human being. Now what makes this so fascinating is that these secure homes that they treasured so much that they believe provided them protection ended up being the caskets for their demise. And the lesson from all this is that if we're not appreciative of the things that God has given us, God is going to transform those gifts, those blessings into the sources of our destruction. God willing, we can reflect on these verses and remember that everything that is said in the Quran, it has significance. There's meaning there. Anytime we think we found a discrepancy, 
God assures us that if we just dig deeper, we'll find something that's absolutely fascinating. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.